0: What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Budgets and Brews podcast, where we discuss, chat, and ramble about personal finance, investing, getting out of debt, budgets, business, and beer. My name is Rich. And my name is Tony. And this week's topic is... Dollar Cost Averaging Explained. In this episode, we're going to talk about what dollar cost averaging is and why you should or shouldn't be doing it. So stay tuned. All right. Dollar cost averaging. So what is it and why you should or shouldn't be doing it? Tony. Tell me. Tell me
1: about it, Rich. I got to hear all about this. this something you do? Is this something you do, Tony? I do not think I (laughs) dollar-cost average, but I don't really have a great understanding of it, so I was hoping you could help uh, educate everyone today.
0: All right, and this was tricky when I got into it because I was like, wait, wait, I thought it was this, but all right. (laughs) Dollar-cost averaging is an investment strategy. So that's what it is. It's a strategy. It's one in which the investor, myself or you, you take a total amount of money that you want to be invested and you divide that number across a specific time period. Then you deploy that money in incremental amounts throughout that designated time duration. Now, I hope I didn't lose you over there. I'm going to go and break this down for you. I have a lot of a lot of jargon
1: let me ask you real quick though before we get started so you're 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 investing over a period of time does this matter if you're doing like index funds stocks bonds anything
0: it does not because this is just the strategy so what you invest in is something completely different and that is something that you need to work out yourself or with a financial advisor this is just the strategy okay cool so I want to preface this by saying dollar cost averaging applies to situations where you have a large sum of money, and that is based off of what you think a large sum is. That could be $1,000, that could be 10000 that could be 100000 But you want to invest it, and you're hesitant because of market jitters. So this is a huge reason why people dollar cost average. It's because of that fierce, that scarcity of getting into the market and seeing it go up and down and riding that roller coaster. However, this is different from automated investing, even though it uses similar principles. And s- in automated investing is you're constantly throwing $100 into your savings account every single month, you're throwing a $1,000 into your retirement account. Every single month. So as a reminder, automating investing is when you invest a certain dollar amount or percentage on a reoccurring basis. The main difference between the two is dollar cost averaging has that specific time frame and a specific dollar amount that you need to deploy while automated investing does not. It's just this reoccurring payment that you're depositing
1: So if if I'm understanding you correctly, like me personally, I get my paycheck biweekly. I always take a certain percentage of my paycheck and I invest that. That would be automated investing. Now, hundred percent. Okay. If I had like fifty thousand dollars in my savings account and that money is already there, I already have access to it, and I say, okay, I want to invest this over time, over two-year period, putting X amount of money in each month. That would be dollar cost averaging, because I know I want all 50 grand in within a two year period. I have a set time frame, and I'm going to be investing that.
0: Yes. If you invest that in even increments that way, it's maybe every month or every two months, whatever that is. If you start saying, I'm going to do four months one time and seven months another, then that, that becomes trying to time. Okay.
1: Okay. Can you give me an example of
0: this? All right. So let's say you have 12,000 bucks. And you want to invest that over a time frame of one year. Instead of making that one time lump sum of $12,000 into the market, you make 12 $1,000 payments, assuming you're doing monthly deposits, which we are, for our example, over the course of that year. So the key is to make those smaller deposits of equal amounts spaced out over regular intervals. So you're in charge of the amount and length and frequency, but It's got to be consistent.
1: Okay, Um, so I'm thinking about like, you know, the year 2020, which we just had, which was a roller coaster of a ride for the stock market, right? Um, If I had 12 grand and I put it in in January, you know, once coronavirus hit, I I think the markets dropped like what, 20, 20 plus percent, right? Yeah, almost up to 30. Yeah, so you'd be down almost 20 to 30 percent of your funds if you put it all in. But if you dollar cost average, you're buying into that market $1,000 a month. Over the course of a year, I wonder if your losses would be lessened. So it's not really
0: – so there is there is a an answer to this, and I'm going to get to that later. But the strategy itself, it's not really to make more money or not. What it is is – to reduce the impact of the volatility that you talked about, the ups and downs on total purchase price of the assets. So it's designed to remove that timing of the market approach. Like, is it a good time? Is it a bad time? And it's sort of similar to the 401k or 403b plans that a lot of people have out there. So if you participate in one of these, and I I think you do, right, Tony? You have a 401k? Yes, Correct. Yeah, and you probably put a percentage to be taken out of your paycheck every month and deposited into this. Is that correct? I do, yes. And um, when we talk about retirement accounts, it's it's the market. That's what it is. So you have taken out a percentage of your paycheck to be put in the market. So every month your employer deducts the percentage, whatever you tell them to, from your paycheck, and they put that into your retirement account. If you get paid weekly or biweekly, obviously that number is just divided. So you can argue— that that approach is automated investing since it's on a reoccurring basis. And technically you're not letting your money sit on the side lines waiting to be deployed. You're investing it as soon as it comes available to you. So there's some minor differences, uh, but those are some of the technicalities right there. However, theoretically, you're giving the company an amount percentage to be taken out of your pay annually over a certain length of time, mm-hmm. one year. Uh, the company does not know how long you're going to stay. So it's based on a year to year timeline for that company. And these are the 401ks that we're talking about. So the goal is to reduce volatility in the price of that asset. That's what they're they're, they're trying to do on their end as well, to have that steady flow. So since the purchase price will fluctuate every time we contribute, our investments is not as highly subject to volatility as compared to that one lump sum. Like if your retirement account said, we're just going to take that percentage and we're just going to do it out of, you know, your, your first, uh, or after the end of every year, maybe we're going to withhold it all and throw it at the end. Well, that, that's not what this, the goal is because you're getting hit with that volatility. You don't know if the stock market's going to go up or down and that's why they sort of spread that out. So it's similar. Like I said, not, it's not exactly, but just to give you an idea of what it, it sort of looks like out there.
1: Yeah, I kind of get it.
0: So using that example, let's say, okay, we are going to, we're going to start buying some shares. Now we got 12,000 bucks. We're going to buy 12 shares of the S and P 500 index fund. Uh, It's valued at a thousand dollars a share. So we're going to be doing that for simple math. That's not what it is right now, but easier for us to work with. Sure. So this would be considered our one time lump sum Purchased twelve thousand bucks. Boom, twelve shares one time. If the market goes bad, there's only one direction this investment can go is down. Would you would you agree with me?
1: Well, what if the value of the stock goes up?
0: No, I'm just saying if it goes down, the market's going down. There's only one direction it can go is down. Oh yeah, if, if it, it, if it it's going, is, it's on its yeah. way. It's on uh-huh. its way. So if we use the dollar cost averaging approach. Instead of making one time purchase, we make 12 $1,000 purchases over the course of a year. So if the market goes down, we actually still win. You could make money off it. We could. We could actually still win. Not overall, not because it's going down, so we're winning, but in comparison to winning against our lump sum example. So if each month the market actually goes down, so does the share price of that SP. So if it dropped from 1,000 dollars to 900 dollars from January to February, that means that we paid 1,000 bucks in January and 900 in February. If yeah. it falls another 100 bucks, that means that we're paying 800 bucks a share in March. And if it goes down to 500 well, we just received a what I call a Black Friday deal of half off the original investment purchase price we were going to do with the lump sum of the $1,000, and now we're paying 500 bucks a share, and we can buy two of the S&P 500 instead of one that month. So that is how I say we are actually winning, because we're accumulating more of that if our goal is long-term. And I always suggest no. investing long-term five years
1: or more. So this, this definitely seems like it's like an emotional investment strategy. Like there's no real benefit, especially I think if we're thinking like long-term, long-term here, um, you just throw your money into your the S&P 500. It doesn't matter. Put it all in. But yeah. if you can't stomach that up those ups and downs, you can dollar cost average. And essentially, if the market's doing bad, you're buying that stock at a discounted price from month to month. But once the stock market starts going back up, you're yep. paying, you know, you're getting closer towards that towards that, uh, break-even line. And then if it starts gaining from your original investment date, then you're essentially paying more than right. the original price from when you started your investment. So, yep. yeah. And you, you the would market agree, is though?
0: performing well. Yeah. And let's say the share price of that S and P five hundred rises to eleven hundred bucks a share. It's true. Your one thousand dollars is only buying you one thousand. It's it's not getting the complete share right now when it was at five hundred when you could buy two of those. Mm -hmm. But you you have a larger principal, which is is a good thing. Like you're still you have that money going in there, and no one can time the market. There's always going to be ups and downs. There's always going to be something going on, but. It saves the day because it mitigates large market swings and it saves you extra, you know, those tummy butterflies that you get, you know, when uh, you see it start to drop. So slow and steady wins the race pretty much is is my go-to all the time. And outside those 401ks and 403bs that we talked about, it can also be used in other events, investments as well. So you have mutual funds, you have index funds, you have ETFs, and you can contribute to these incrementally by using the dollar cost averaging approach on a rolling basis of your choosing. You know, instead of having that one large lump sum uh, deposit. So the same strategy can can actually be used in single stocks as well. But this is why I don't re- recommend that, because the general idea of the strategy. It assumes the prices will eventually always rise. That's what we are using our principles on when we're looking at this method is whether it goes up and down. I'm investing 5, 10, 20, 30 years and past history doesn't, you know, guarantee future results, but if we look at that, the market always goes up. So, what happens when you're looking into single stocks? So, using that, you actually you're doing that without knowing about the company's details. And that could be very, very dangerous because it could encourage an investor to contribute by buying actually more stock in that company when they should simply be planning to exit that company because it's it's that same approach. It's every month, it's more and more and more. but unless yeah. you're not doing that research on that company, you might be should be getting out, out out. So for less informed investors, the strategy is far less risky on index funds than overall. Stocks and uh, that information came from uh, Investopedia. That's where I found that at.
1: I, I like I like the point you made there because <clears throat> when you're investing in like index funds, mutual funds, companies come and go out of those throughout the year based on certain parameters, right? Yes. If you're in an index, it's based on a specific sector or a specific uh, financial spread or whatever. The
0: S&P 500 is called that for a reason. It's the 500 biggest stocks in the US. And it it self-cleanses. So if a a stock is doing poorly, that stock, they're going to get rid of it. Now it's only 499 stocks. That means they have to add a new one, and a new one pops in.
1: Right, but over the long term, if you're looking at like a company like Walmart, like listen, okay, we all know Walmart's track record. They've been growing for as long as I've been alive. I'm pretty sure um they've had a you know pretty pretty good business model, and they've you know spread across the country and everything like that. But not every company's going to be a Walmart. so over the course of no. forty years, you may not want to dollar cost average because. 100%, you know, not in yeah, stock, yeah. Look at like, uh, what happened to the auto industry, like GM and Ford. I mean, didn't, wasn't there like, there was like a bailout? Look uh, at Lucky Coffee. Lucky yeah. Coffee was a
0: Chinese coffee and, and the shares were skyrocketing. I mean, it started off as a penny stock, but it was like six bucks, seven bucks, eight bucks or something like that. And sure. all of a sudden, something happened on the inside with um, some negative publicity. And I think they did some illegal stuff and it was really sketchy. And all of a sudden, that tanked. And it went right. down to like nothing, and I don't even know if the company exists anymore. But people who would have dollar cost average that, and if it, it was just constantly going in and not really knowing that information, not researching those articles and what was going on with the
1: company, I mean, right. that's, that's just a poor move. So, if you're a beginning investor, definitely stick to uh, index funds, mutual funds, things of that nature, ETFs, and dollar cost averaging. Is not a terrible idea. Whether you you know you can put your your full funds in if you have the funds. But dollar cost averaging is not bad because index funds and mutual funds, ETFs, they're typically like Rich said, self cleansing. So they will always maintain. Yeah. History has shown us that they Portfolio managed. Yeah. The, uh, you know mutual fund manager. And they almost always increase over time, yeah. over the long term especially. Now, why would
0: it be? You know, we talked about how it's a good idea, but let's touch on briefly why is it a bad idea. So remember, dollar cost averaging, it's going to help that with that market volatility and those tummy butterflies, right? Mm-hmm. And it also will help when the market is doing very, very poor or buying more of those shares. A lump sum deposit, on the other hand, will actually outperform dollar cost averaging for most asset classes most of the time. So if you're looking purely at what am I going to gain in my numbers, technically that lump sum that if we're going back to the example with the 12 grand and we have a year to do it, that will actually make you more money. But you know, it's that stomach. Can you, can you stomach those ups and downs? And I'm not going to get into the details too much. There have been many studies, though, done on this—the difference between the two—and they, you know, they, they track this. And it's really—it's simple to do. It's just time-consuming. Is look at if January, and you talked about, um, let's say, you throw it in the S&P. If you threw $12,000 in the S&P, look at the chart of the S&P from pa- the past year, and then sort of just do the calculations. What does that look like at the end of 2019 or the end of 2020? And then just look what happens if you deploy those $500 in there and the, the, the percentage of did that month, did it increase? Did it decrease that month And do the math? Um, I'm not going to go into details on that, but there have been plenty of those studies actually done on that. And uh, I'm going to actually link an article uh, talking about that. It dives more into the numbers and it will show you some of those historic charts and graphs for anyone who can learn visually out there. Uh, and that way also just to back that up to say, yes, if you actually look at the numbers, it does outperform because it's so much easier to show on charts um, and yeah. graphs than verbally over here. So that pretty much sums this up. Tony, how do you feel about that?
1: I feel like you've explained it uh, pretty well. I got, I got a better idea than I did when we started here of what that is. And I like, I like the example you use the SP 500. I got the the spy ETF here, yeah. Um, and it, it's looking like it went up 15% this year, right? So from okay. January 1st to December, where we're at today, 29th, um, it went up 15.04%. So, you know, you put your 12 grand in, you're up 15%. But I wonder, yeah, you would have to calculate what the change was from month to month on your, exactly. on your exactly. on $1,000 all the way to December. And Because
0: if one month it goes down 12%, and that's the month that you put your $1,000 in, well, you just lost... Twelve percent on that one thousand.
1: Yeah, rather than twelve, because you know, from February to March, uh, the end of March, it went down. You know, like we said, like 24, 25 percent. So if you put your whole twelve grand in, you're down twenty five percent on that twelve. But if you're dollar cost averaging, you probably only have two thousand, maybe three thousand dollars invested, and you lost your twenty four percent. And then, it, and then it gained all those gains back. So yeah, it'd be interesting uh, to see what that what those calculations turn out to be.
0: Yes, and and you know what, the more you are all in there doing those numbers and you're looking at things it's learning. And so that's what we yep. do this show for uh, week after week is we are just trying to teach personal finance to everyone. I just wish I was taught this in uh, middle school. I wish I was taught in high school. I wish I really? cared about yeah. it in college, uh, all of those things. So that wraps up this episode. Don't forget, you could check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, but most importantly, budgetsandbrews.com. That's where you're going to find all of our podcasts. They're all archived there, our finance articles, beer reviews YouTube videos, and our merchandise store. We also have our newsletter going out, and that recaps everything that we've done month to month. We only send that out once. Subscribe to that at budgetsandbrews.com. Join us next week for our bi-weekly beer review. If you enjoyed listening, we ask that you give it a thumbs up, subscribe, or follow. And oh, yeah, please share this episode with friends and family if you found it beneficial. And don't forget to leave a review and comment on what topics you want us to cover for the upcoming weeks. That does it. See ya.